itself, when God calls you, that in and of itself is not the fulfillment. The fulfillment is literally when the promise is fulfilled, right? I'm, I'm going to make sense of this in a second. So imagine here we're talking about Abraham, and, and he's Abram at the time. That's his name. And he's 75 years old, and he hears that he is going to have a biological son that he's never had. 75 years old. First off, no thank you. But, and he hears his descendants are going, are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so he has this huge moment with God where all of a sudden it's sealed with a covenant and there's, there's this extra drama. Abram, he sacrifices these animals and God puts him into a deep sleep. He wakes up and then all of a sudden I can imagine he wakes up and he just expects, okay, my wife's going to be pregnant now. Right? It's going to happen immediately. And then all of a sudden a week goes by. A month goes by. Nine months go by, a couple years go by, a decade goes by. Do you get what I'm saying? Abram is waiting on the promise of God. It's unfulfilled. I don't know if you know what that feeling is like. Raise your hand here today if you say, Pastor, I'm in the waiting right now. Okay, there's quite a few people that say, I'm in the waiting. You know, God makes these promises, and all of a sudden we hear that promise. We envision it's just going to come to fruition right away, and it doesn't happen that way. In 1997, I went with a group of young people to Trinidad and Tobago. And for those who don't know, Trinidad is just off the coast of Venezuela. So it's just off the coast of South America. And there, God called me into missions. And so I go to Bible college. It's 1998. I go off to Bible college, and I'm a missions major. And that is my goal. And next thing you know, I get married, and she says, you know what? Your calling is my calling. And she changes her major to missions. And we're both missions majors, and that's our focus. And in, in 2001, uh, this church helped send us to Papua New Guinea for two months. And we're interns there, and we're just moving forward. We sit down with the director of missions for Open Bible, and he says, we'll send you wherever you want to go. And I'm like, I, I don't even know where that is, but I'm ready. And so th those were all of our plans. And then we have a son, and our son has special needs, and all of a sudden we start questioning everything. We're like, God, I know I heard your calling, but it doesn't seem like what I expect or, or, or what I planned on is what's going on here. And so there were years of wondering, did, did I not hear you right? Did I miss your calling? Did I confuse some things? And then in 2016, a ministry called Move is building a church for a pastor I knew that Wendy and I worked with in 2001. All of a sudden, 2016, and Move is building a church for a pastor that we were with in Papua New Guinea. And so I joined that, and next thing you know, I, I'm doing every trip every year. In 2019, I become the director, and no offense, I love pastoring you. God has called me to do that too, but my first love is missions. 
And so many of you know that I lead this group called Move Ministries, and we're going to Thailand. And actually, we've got two other guys in this church already signed up to go to Thailand, and I might as well uh, point them out of the crowd right now because we're going to be supporting them. Uh, Ethan is going with me to Thailand, and so is Jamie. And you could give these guys a hand, yeah. And if you're a man and you, you say, man, I, I want to experience that, talk to me because I'd love to get you on that trip. We already have 34 guys signed up for that project, and this is still early in the process. So it's, it's going to be quite a crew. Our largest crew we've ever taken is 44, and we know we're going to blow that number out of the water. So it's going to be an interesting, an interesting project for sure. But what, what happened was there was this 15 years of waiting And all of a sudden, God started stirring that calling in my heart again and reminding me of what he's called me to. But there was 15 years of wait. 15 years of saying, what's going on? So we're going to read a lot of scripture today, and I'm going to be bouncing around. I just want you to try and get the context of everything that's going on. But still, we're going to read almost 40 verses, and I typically don't like to read that much, but I want you to gain the context. If you could turn with me, starting in Genesis chapter 16, we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to move on to Genesis 17. Who's ready to read God's word? Say amen. All right, let's read. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Who already thinks this sounds like a bad idea? Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to mistreat Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. Sounds like a Jerry Springer episode, doesn't it? I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Man. Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Well, we're going to skip the rest of Genesis 16, and some of you are saying, thank God, but I'll cover the basis. And she, has, she gives birth to a son named Ishmael. Uh, an angel of the Lord shows up to Hagar and, and implores her to go back to the household. So she does, and then Abram can still develop a relationship with his son, and... Uh, We move on, Genesis 17, starting at verse 1. says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. 
I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Telling you what, Abram's hearing this right now and saying, I've heard this before. Right? Verse 3, it says, At this Abram fell face down to the ground. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Isn't this an amazing promise? Despite Abraham's mistakes, God still says, I made a covenant with you. And here's the interesting thing as we're about to read on. God is now going to make another covenant with Abraham. And this one is giving Abraham responsibility in order to have an outward sign of the covenant he has made. Let's look at Genesis 17, verse 9. It says, Then God said to Abraham, Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. Let's skip on to verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Let's skip on to verse 18. So Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, No. Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray that 
when we read your word, Lord, there, there's deep revelation to be had. Lord, we can, we can read a section of scripture and, your, Lord, your word says a lot. But there are also key things that it doesn't say. But that can carry deep meaning to us. So, Lord, I pray that we understand everything your word says, everything that it also doesn't say. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell you what. We can read this story, and I can attest, waiting is tough. Waiting can be extremely challenging on the promises of God. And what Abraham did was he made a mistake. They took the promises of God, did not see them be fulfilled, and they took matters into their own hands. When we do that, we often do that because we do ask ourselves questions like, did I mishear from God? Did I make a mistake along the way and now God's promise does not apply? Who has ever had those thoughts? Let's be real. Okay. So here you have Sarah and Abraham. What they're doing is they are staring at their realities. Abraham is now 86 years old. His wife is 75. They're 10 years removed from God's promise of him having a son. And all of a sudden, they're looking at each other. They have this burden. They know what the promise was. And you can only imagine the conversations that they're having and probably had along the way. And what it must have been like to be alone with their thoughts, right? And what happens is, Sarah comes up with this plan. Hey, sleep with my servant Hagar. And all of a sudden, Abraham, who's a typical dumb male, well, if you're cool with it, sure. Right? And, and all of a sudden, they develop this idea and say, hey, this could work. And this could fulfill this plan that God has. And it's all because they have this lack of patience. And next thing you know, a, a, a chain reaction occurs as a result of missteps. And often, we fall into these same traps. Hopefully not the exact same trap. But we fall into these traps, we hear God's promise, and you hear that and you say, okay, God, now I need to make it happen. That's the trap we fall into. I hear what you're saying, God, now it's up to me to make it happen. And the difficulty in waiting in the fulfillment of God's promises is knowing that, first off, we're not patient people. And so the moment we hear a promise, we expect the fulfillment, and seldom are we willing to sit idly by. And then also, when God promises us something, all of a sudden we assume responsibilities in that fulfillment. When oftentimes, here's the key, God didn't give us responsibilities in the fulfillment. He just told us what he was going to do. Are you hearing me, church? Because trust me, I, I know what God is saying here, and this is good. 
Now, in this point in Abraham's life, God hadn't established the law yet, so it wasn't like Abram was following this set standard which he knew what to follow. The difference is we do. We know what God's law is. We know what his word says. And so we can look at this situation of Sarah proposing, hey, sleep with my servant, and we're like, bad move, bro. You should not do that. That is a bad decision. That is only going to take you bad places. And then we hear that she gets pregnant, and now Sarah hates her, and we're like, what did you think was going to happen? Of course that was what was going to happen. And, and you can only imagine, and by the way, Sarah, wasn't this your idea? Like, you're not admitting guilt, but yet it came from your brain? And we see what happens when we circumvent God's plan, all of a sudden the waters get muddied. And Sarah's brilliant idea was not a solution to their problem. Instead, that was a time where it should have further established their commitment to God and his promise to trust him and seek him. Can I get an amen? amen? Because here's the reality, church. Oftentimes, we make these similar mistakes where God promises us something, we take matters into our own hands, we try and make it happen, and next thing you know, you are going to be living with the consequences of your actions. Because here's the realities that they're dealing with. Abram now has a son that doesn't belong to his wife, wasn't a part of God's plan. And then we learn later on that Abraham, he, he has this desire that Ishmael fall under that same covenant because the, the bottom line is Abraham is looking at him and says, God, this is still my flesh and blood. And Lord, I want your covenant to apply to him. And we read that God says no but still offers to bless Ishmael a different kind of blessing. And it's easy for us to look at this story and wonder why would God offer this blessing if Ishmael can't fall under that same covenant. And I think this is yet another example that we can learn that God demonstrates his grace upon people who are discovering who he is. But he makes it clear, my covenant is to stand between you and Sarah. Church, do you know there are consequences for us when we don't follow God's plan? You need to accept that. You need to embrace it. And it's widely believed that Ishmael, check this out. So we're, let's talk about these chain of events, right? We can go back to uh, Abram's first original sin that we learned of was when he went into Egypt and he lied to Pharaoh saying, that's not my wife, that's my sister. And then through that, Pharaoh said, well, she's beautiful. I, I want her as my wife. So here, I'm going, to, I'm going to work out a bride price with you. Here, have all these servants. Guess who one of those servants was? Hagar. Right? It started back at the original sin, and now things are just compounding. 
And he has this son, and do you know it's widely believed that Ishmael was not only the representative of the father of Arab nations, but Ishmael was what got all of Islam started. And so now, the Arab nations stand opposed to the Hebrew people, still to this day, right? And all of this stemmed from Abram's original sin, lying to Pharaoh. Think about it, church. No matter how hard we might try to correct past mistakes and cover them up, if we don't deal with them, sin only produces more sin if you don't deal with it. And God can forgive you. Are you hearing me? God can forgive you, but that does not erase consequences for our actions. I deal with that with my second oldest son all the time, trying to teach him that you can say you're sorry all you want, but there are consequences to making a decision that's wrong. And we have to live with that. It's not easy, but say amen again. I want you to listen to Numbers 32.23. It says, but if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. And this was Moses. He was warning his troops, but it teaches us a valuable lesson in truth that God sees all, and something that he does is he illuminates sin. And we can't hide what we've done from God. I want you to think about that. We cannot hide what we've done from God. We might be able to hide it from our parents. We might be able to hide it from our other loved ones. We might be able to hide it from the authorities, and you're never going to get caught. But you are not going to be able to hide it from God. And so you and I, we have a choice to make. We can either confess sin and move forward in seeking and honoring God with the rest of our lives, or we can try to continue to cover it up only for it to be revealed in eternity. Listen to Romans 14, 11 through 12. It says, For the Scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. You see, church, this is what happens. Unconfessed sin are like shackles that weigh us down. And so oftentimes we don't realize it. And and what the Spirit of God does, the Spirit of God starts working inside of us. And and it, it feels like there is this friction and something needs to give. And what is happening is Satan is trying to convince us the moment that we confess that sin, then we're outed, then calamity falls upon us, and then Next thing you know, our reputations are ruined, and Satan tries to convince us of all these things. But what really happens is the moment that you confess sin, those shackles are broken, you are set free, it no longer holds dominion over you. That is the thing about unconfessed sin, that the moment it is confessed, it doesn't have the power over you anymore, and all of a sudden, you can accept responsibility of those consequences for those actions. But know that confess sin before a living God 
claiming the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, sets you free for eternity. And so that one day when you are standing there before God and you are being held to account and the blood of Jesus Christ covers your sin, He doesn't recognize that anymore. You're forgiven. You may have to answer for those consequence, the consequences of those actions here on earth. But God chooses to remember it no more. Now again, I must say, we can't escape the consequences here on earth. And not only do we see that reflected in the story of Abraham, but many of you know the story of King David. King David is described as a man after God's own heart. But being that David was a man, he made mistakes. And he had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And when his sin was revealed by the prophet Nathan, David repented, but he still had to face consequences for his actions. Church, that should be a lesson to us that no matter what trials we face, as we wait for promises to be fulfilled, we should have confirmation from God that we, what we are doing is a part of His will. Because when you start taking matters into your own hands, that's when you start going down your own road. We should pray for things like that what we're doing is not contrary to His will. We need to evaluate ourselves. What we're doing is not contrary to Scripture. And you also, check this out, you need to differentiate, is this my heart that is trying to lead me, or am I being led by the Spirit of God? And so all of a sudden, what we have to do is we have to course correct oftentimes our thoughts, don't we? You know, if you're, wait, if you're in this waiting period, you need to course correct your thoughts sometimes. And you need to set yourself back on the direction you were originally at, remembering that God's promises are for you. And that it is God that is going to make a way, not me. And so church, I'm telling you the key in all this is to remember God's promises. You know, we've been in Abraham for about six weeks now. How many times have you heard about God's promise to him? I think every week but one, five weeks. And here's the key thing about God. He never changes his promise. And the other awesome thing about God, he foreknew Abraham's missteps. And what we learn is God never put conditions on his promise. So he reestablishes that his promise still stands each and every time. Church, aren't you glad that when God makes a promise, it's not revocable? Listen to Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. It says, for the God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. And so what that tells me is God's promises are determined based off of what he can do, not what we can do. But what we have control over is our obedience to God. So it's important to ask yourself, am I living according to his word? 
Am I walking in his will for my life? I have seen people, church, that have a calling of God on their life. And they walked away from God because of circumstances they faced in the wait. And here's the thing. I do believe God fulfills all his promises, but you got to be walking in God for those things to be fulfilled. And also, if you raised your hand and you're saying, I'm one of those in the wait, there is going to be a time of testing. And that waiting period for Abraham and Sarah was that time of testing, which they failed. And you might be sitting there and you might be wondering, why, Pastor, why does God test me? Maybe, Pastor, I don't need tested. Maybe he just needs to fulfill this thing and we can move on, right? Or you might be thinking, shouldn't everything be easy? Do you know David asked God to test him? He asked God to test him. Listen to Psalm 26.2. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. Testing has the ability to further align our hearts with God. It has a chance for you to prove your faithfulness to what he's called you to. Why is God going to put something so important into your hands and you're not prepared for it? He wants to prepare you. He wants to test you. He wants to refine you. He wants to mold you into his will. And then, when you pass the test, the more we obey, the more we put into practice, and the more we step out in faith, the more clear God's voice will be, and the more he will speak. Listen to John 10, 27. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they will follow me. If you want to hear God's voice more clear, read his word. If you want to hear God's voice more clear, pray to him and allow him to speak back into your life. And the more you hear God, the more you'll hear God. That's important. And then all of a sudden, his voice is distinguishable. And you can separate that from your heart to what his spirit is saying. The other challenge about all this, church, is looking across the room and seeing what God is doing in other people's lives. And you might see a promise being fulfilled. You're like, okay, God, you did it for them. It's time. And I have to tell you that there is no linear path to God working in your life the way he's working in someone else's. So you can't look to someone else and say, okay, God, now me. I want you, church, to embrace that God calls you his child as well, and he uniquely wants to use you. So there are some things that you need to establish in this wait. And if you're tired of waiting, there are three things I want you to remember. The first... Sometimes the wait is for your benefit. I am not a finished product. 
Amen. I still have things that I needed to develop to better reflect God. And we also, church, we don't have the foresight to the future and what God might be setting us up for or preparing us for. And so there are things that he takes us through for our benefit. Number two, if we put our hope in the right place, we won't be disappointed. You know, I was talking with a friend on the phone yesterday, and he was sharing with me that he heard of someone who was doing a ministry in downtown Nashville, and they were praying over individuals on the street. They were just going up to them, and they were praying that they be financially blessed. Sounds good on the surface, right? Here's my problem with that. They are placing these expectations on these people who don't have a relationship with God, all of a sudden to, I'm going to have a relationship with God and there's going to be a material benefit for me having this relationship with God, not an eternal one. They're setting up the material benefit as being greater than an eternal benefit. And it also sets up a potential disappointment in that person's life because what if they're looking to the wrong things in order for God to bless them, right? And so we should rest solely in God's word, what he says, and the work that he has already established. We can look back at God's track record We can see that his promises are fulfilled, that he has never failed, so that if we place our hope in what God has already done and what he says he will do, you will be satisfied. Thirdly, God is faithful. He is faithful. You know, church, we we set up all these safeguards in our lives because people have failed us. And so often we feel like, like people let us down, and so immediately you might be setting up this barrier between you and God because you think, I'm just going to be let down. We project those past experiences onto our relationship with God. And check out 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Where you and I, we change. We can go back on our word. And look at what the scripture says about Jesus. And many of you should know this verse in Hebrews 13.8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And church, I am telling you that you will not be disappointed with God if you just take God at his word. And maybe not look so many other places for answers. Because God is faithful and he looks to Abraham and what he does in his failure, he reestablishes what his covenant is with him. And church, if there's anything that you can take to the bank and there's anything worth writing down to remember in your life, what God establishes cannot be undone. You hear that? What God establishes in your life, it cannot be undone. 
And clearly we learn today that God does make covenants and sometimes he makes a covenant with man where we have a part to play. We read about that today. God required Abraham circumcise uh, everyone in his household and said from here on out, generation after generation, circumcise your males on the eighth day. And what it was, God's reason for doing this, as we could, we're talking about circumcision here, God was saying, I just want you to have an outward sign of my relationship with you, and this is how we're going to do it. And so it could be natural for us, most of us in here are Gentiles, last time I checked. It could be natural for us to wonder, are we not living under the covenant if there is no circumcision? You know, the Apostle Paul, he dealt with this. And it was a real struggle because now Christ's message is going out to the Gentiles and Jews are wondering, okay, does that mean they need circumcised? Listen how Paul deals with this, and I think this is important for us to talk about. It's in Romans 2, 25 through 29. It says, the Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentile, Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. Are you hearing that, church? And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to, to, to affect not just our physical nature, church, but our spiritual nature. And God is concerned not about your outward appearance, but what's going on on the inside. You know, Jesus had that argument with the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're talking about what defilement might look like, and they're, they're looking at how you might be able to defile your body on the outside. And Jesus stopped them dead in their tracks, and he's like, hold on a second. Defilement comes from within. It's what's in your heart. It's what's going on on the inside. See, you can make yourself look so presentable to the world, and you could be evil on the inside, right? You could be full of hate. You can be full of indignation. You can be full of defilement. But if you allow the Spirit of God to come in and truly affect change in your life, that is what Paul says is true circumcision. It's what's truly representative of your, of your relationship with God. How you live, how you act, what you allow into your life, what pours out of your life. Can I get an amen, church? That's exactly who God is. And that's how we show who, how he is good. Because church, I am telling you, God's true faithfulness to you and I was ultimately displayed through the cross. 
And we need to embrace that in Jesus' name. You know, we established last week that Abraham believed even in Christ before Christ came to the earth. I want to read that again because I love that scripture in John 8, 56. It says, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. Think about this. This is some 4,000 years before Jesus comes to the earth. Abraham believed in Jesus' coming and was glad for it. You know, and in Jesus Christ was the culmination of God's promises. And church, it was fulfilled for you and I on the cross. And that wasn't, again, that wasn't about what man had done for God. It was God's free gift to mankind. And church, today, your life might be challenging. You might be in the weight Your life might not be what you've drawn up. It might not be what you've wanted. But if you listen to the voice of God, if you trust in Him, I promise you, church, you're going to be satisfied. He's going to satisfy you. You just need to remember where to look. You remember to keep your eyes on Him and not let go because what he is going to do is he is going to honor his work and who he is each and every time and some of you might be looking at some mistakes that you have made in the wait and I'm telling you if God has promised you something if you are realign with him he's not going to take away a past promise He's going to reestablish what he's already promised you. And he is telling you, keep your eyes on me. Don't take your eyes off me. Keep looking to me. Trust in me. Know that my plan is good. Know that it is for you. I haven't given up. You might have given up. I haven't. And I'm telling you, if you just hold fast, don't let go. many here you're hurting you've been in the wait maybe you've made missteps or maybe you just need to realign your thoughts everything you are with God and you just need to pledge your life solely over to him embrace again God's promises who he says he is. And if that's you and you say, Pastor, I just need Jesus. If that's you today, would you stand with me? Just embracing him for who he is. Praise God. Praise God. Church, I want to thank you for your boldness right now. God, admires your boldness. He admires your confession. He admires your desire to realign with Him. And what I want you to do right now is I just want you to lift up hands and surrender to Him right now as we pray. 
Father God, you see hands raised all over this place. And God, where we are declaring that, Lord, I am not perfect. God, I, I, have, I have challenged your promise in my life. And Lord, there have been times where I have failed. Lord, you do not fail. Lord, you do not make mistakes. And God, you have intended everything you have done in our lives. And Lord, we surrender over to you right now in Jesus' name. God, we choose to realign our lives with you. Lord, we thank you for reestablishing your purpose. And Lord, it never failing in our life. That God, we can claim what you have because Lord, you don't make mistakes. Lord, nothing can undo what you have promised. Lord, what, what you have established. And Lord, it is not by our hands that those promises are fulfilled. It is fulfilled by you. Lord, I thank you for that. And God, I pray that through each and every circumstance, we can look to you. God, right now, even as we're raising our hands, Lord, we know there was a period of 25 years before your promise was fulfilled for Sarah and Abraham. And Lord, the wait might be longer, so the testing might come again. But God, I pray that as we're standing here today, reestablishing that, God, we are dedicated to you and we recognize, Lord, that your promises don't fail, that, God, we look to you through the test as it's going to come. And, God, that we pass this test. Lord, I want to thank you for people who are called to you and can stand up and can say that same prayer that David said in Psalm 26.2. Lord, test me so you might know me. Lord, so you can see my motives. And those motives can be exposed to me. Father, we want to be more like you. Lord, and as you mold us into your image, God, I know there are days where we're going to be wondering, God, what are you doing in all this? But Lord, it's all a part of your perfect plan. And we celebrate you and we thank you because you are that God. And there is no one like you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And every believer said, Amen, amen. Let's give a hand praise to God. God's word is good, amen. It's deep. It challenges us to keep going, not give up. And church, I think what God is doing in our hearts today is significant. It's not going to be the same every Sunday. And that's good. Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk out of here, and I want you to truly reflect on what God is doing. I want you to seek Him this week. I want you to realign yourself to His Word and His promises. And like we kind of talked about last week, write them down. Because there's that break glass in case of emergency situation where you need to go back to that letter.